Good morning. Good morning. You guys doing well? Yes, sir. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. This is our reboot teaching series, Restore to Original Settings. So thus far in this series, we've talked about uh, rebooting our lives spiritually, emotionally, financially, and physically. And guess what we're going to talk about this morning? (laughs) Some of you are a little bit excited about this, aren't you? We're going to talk about sex. And we're going to talk about how God can reboot our lives sexually. This is a PG-13 uh, teaching, so beware. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 24 to 25 to really our launch pad here this morning. We are heading into alligator-infested waters, so beware. Uh, Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, was a great uh, resource for me as uh, I worked through this topic. Take a look at your sermon notes. They're part of the intro. This is really, really important for you to understand as we launch into this understanding of a biblical view of our sexuality, which is, by the way, quite magnificent when you understand it, God's view of our sexuality. And so, uh, the lie of the serpent in Eden, you guys familiar with Genesis 3 and what the lie is all about? The lie of the serpent in Eden was that if we obey God fully, we will be miserable because happiness lies outside of God's will, not within it. That's, that's the big lie. This lie has passed deeply into every human heart. And let me reiterate the lie maybe just a little bit differently. The lie is that we will be more satisfied if we are free to choose how our lives should be lived rather than God. But nothing could be further from the truth, believe me. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that fullness of life is found in the joy of God's presence and living according to his word. So fullness of life, fullness of joy is found not only in a relationship with God, but, but conforming our life to his will. That's where you're going to find a full and satisfying life. Uh, John 10.10, it's the theme verse here at Desert Breeze. Thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So God wants us to live life to its fullest in a general sense, but also specifically as it relates to our sexuality. So here's the two questions we're looking at this morning. What is God's purpose for sex? And how do we practice God's purpose for sex? And as we dive into how do we practice God's purpose for sex, I'm going to talk to both singles and and married couples in that to kind of give you some good advice. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then uh, we will dive into these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love your presence. We acknowledge that we live in a sex-saturated culture where there's so much confusion, abuse, and addiction We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring greater understanding, healing, and freedom through our embracing of your purpose for our sexuality. As we have prayed through this series, Psalm 8019, we pray now, restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. May the joy of your presence empower us to obey your will. 
as it relates to our lives sexually for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Take a look at this. First of all, so what is God's purpose for sex? I had you turn to Genesis chapter 2. This is the book of origins. And so this tells us what God intended when he originally created uh, the marriage this sacred institution, Genesis 2, 24 through 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Just keep your Bibles open there just for a minute. It's also on your notes. But you'll notice that they became one flesh. That one flesh is not just sexually, it's it's every dimension of their lives. And notice what they achieved, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Total fulfillment and satisfaction in that relationship. If you're reading from the King James, there's, there's really a kind of a four-point sermon. And by the way, uh, this is God's uh, foundation for marriage. It's a it's a description of marriage, and you could almost do like a four-point message off of this from the King James uses words like leave, you see that there, but the next word would be cleave, so leave, cleave, weave, and achieve. So if you leave and cleave and weave, you will achieve. So you leave your father and mother, you leave your single life, and you cleave, that's hold fast to your wife. It's permanence. It's a vow. It's a commitment. And then it takes some work. You've got to weave. That You become one flesh. It takes a lot of work. And then when you do that, you put that work to it, you're going to achieve fruitfulness and fulfillment in that relationship. And this is God's holy, inspired, infallible word, the standard of, for faith and practice for, for you and I. And he's telling us as it relates to our, our marriage uh, our marriages and what marriage is to be. Um, marriage is a sacred institution created by God as the foundation of society. That's why it's in the book of origins. This is the first thing that, that God did. And so as the marriage goes, so goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes society. So our society is not doing so well. And it's because we have come against the uh, God's sacred institution called marriage. And so this is, this is God's holy word to us. This is what he's established. And it's very clear. And, um, and it's also, uh, it's not only a, a, a sacred institution created by God but it's, and, the, and the foundation of society, but, it, but marriage is to be a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sex is to be within that context. Jesus reiterated this standard in the gospel according to Matthew and Mark, and then Paul taught it in Ephesians 5. And that's where we get that idea that it's a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, our marriage relationships are to, to be so packed full of the gospel that when they see my love for my wife, I can point to God's love for his church, the bride, and her love for me, we can point to the church's love for Christ, the groom. That's, that's all part of that, and it's important. And so there's so much more in that, uh, in those two verses, but, uh, but historically there have been countless views about sex, so let me go through some of these unbiblical views of sex. Here's the first one, number one, sex is an appetite. It's like eating, like eating, we should feel free to fulfill that need with a variety of buffets. That's, our, that's partly in our culture today, or a lot in our culture. Proverbs 30, 18 through 20 refutes this by saying, and let me kind of paraphrase it here, by saying that sex as an appetite is a profane, 
view of sex, turning it into a commodity, uh, a consumer-vendor kind of a relationship, rather than the Bible's view being about a sacred covenant relationship likened to soaring or sailing or something that is quite exhilarating. You'd have to study those verses on your own to see that. So Proverbs 30, 18 through 20, uh, 18 through 20 is the refutes this idea that sex is an appetite. Uh, the second view, unbiblical view of sex, is that sex is awful. Oh, it's terrible. It is a degrading, necessary evil for the propagation of our human race. Many believe this is the biblical view. And that's not the biblical view at all. In fact, in Proverbs 5, 15 through 19, it gives us a very high view of, a, of male and female sexuality celebrating sexual passion and pleasure. Let me just give you just a hint, just a glimpse of that. In uh, Proverbs 5, 18, it says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. <laughs> Pastor Ray, that's my favorite verse. I'm going to memorize it, meditate on it, and I'm going to make sure I apply that verse to my life. We're into Bible application in our home, and so we're going to apply that verse. Could you read it one more time? Absolutely. I would love to read that verse one more time for you. <laughs> Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That doesn't sound very awful to me, okay? That sounds pretty amazing. And, I mean, and, and this is what you need to keep in mind. The Bible is a very uncomfortable book for the prudish. I could take you to other sections in the Bible that... Uh, that all of you would be blushing in here, like Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. It's just like, oh, and, and one of these days we'll, we'll work through it. A few years back we walked through that verse by verse. <laughs> Our attendance just went through the roof. <laughs> and so that's the first, uh, or the first two. So sex is an appetite, sex is awful. But here's, here's the one that's more current to our culture, sex is actualization of self. It is a way to be yourself, to find yourself, to express yourself, and to use it however you please for your personal fulfillment. Uh, that's why we have same-sex marriages. That's why we have guys like Bruce Jenner who became uh, Kate, Caitlin, I guess is her name. Kate Jenner or whatever. And so, because we go, and we applaud that in our culture today. We're just like, oh, that's wonderful. You're, you're finding yourself. You're discovering yourself. And uh, so it's the actualization of self. And actually, the verse, uh, the, I'll refute that by just giving you the verse that we talked about last week, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Also, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So it's talking about your sexual life. So, so live your life for God's glory. Every dimension of your life, including what we're talking about this morning, is our sexuality. We've been created by God for God to give glory to God. Would you guys agree with that? That's what the Bible is very clear about? Yeah. So there's no doubt about that. Our bodies are not for self-actualization, or we could also say our bodies are not for self-gratification, but for God's glorification. And God's glorification is actually the way to experience the greatest satisfaction in our bodies. So when, so God is most glorified in us, we're most satisfied in him. And that's where you're going to be most satisfied in life, period. Human beings are hardwired for happiness. You and I are hardwired to long for happiness. And you'll find the happiness you've always longed for, listen to me, you'll find the happiness you've always longed for in Jesus in conforming your life to his will. I'm convinced of that. I've been doing this for a lot of years. And that's where happiness is found. And so it's not through this self-actualization. It's through uh, glorifying God with our lives. Now, let me give you the biblical view here, and I'm going to add a few more verses here. We just read from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, but let me read some verses that were previous to that. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 and 18, it says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? Uh, becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now, what is he saying there? That's quite interesting. He's not just saying that you're connecting. Okay, yeah, you connect physically. Oh, yeah, by the way, you connect physically. He's not saying that. He's actually saying there's something much deeper that's happening when you connect with a, a prostitute physically. There's a soul that's connecting. There's something much deeper, and that's why he goes on and he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And the body meaning uh, every part of us. It's not just the physical. It actually means the spiritual, the soul. So he's saying we sin against ourself, our soul, our person. So there's something much deeper. It's more than just a physical act is what the Bible is saying. There's something much deeper. So you're going to have to think a little bit. This is the antithesis of what our culture teaches and it's quite magnificent when you begin to understand what God's intention is for us and how he created us. Here's your first point under the biblical view. Number one, sex is for a man and woman in marriage to procreate and celebrate whole life, self-giving love. You're going to want to take notes. If you don't have your notes in front of you, you want to grab some and uh, fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you a lot of, a lot of fill-ins and a lot of information here. So sex is for a man and a woman in marriage to procreate and celebrate whole life, Self-giving love. Notice what I said, whole life. So personal, it's not just physical act, but it's, you're, you're giving your life personally, emotionally, socially, economically, legally. So a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the man and woman were both naked and felt no shame. It's talking about a whole life commitment. That's what those verses are saying. Now, because we are sinners by nature and by choice, our tendency is to use sex for selfish reasons outside of God's boundaries. 
So let me just say, uh, as I've said many times before, God's boundaries, when God establishes these boundaries for us in his word, he gives us these boundaries because he loves us unbelievably. No one will ever love you more than him. He gave his life for you. So it's out of his perfect love and infinite wisdom to protect us from the very worst and to provide the very best for us. So, that, so I'm going back to the lie that the enemy said to Adam and Eve. No, 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 you can live outside those boundaries. You're going to be happier outside those boundaries. The Bible says, no, no, you're not. Now, um, when I would tell my kids to stay in the yard and not run in the street, it wasn't because I, I despised them or hated them or because I was going to make it difficult for them. No, no, I loved them. And I, w I felt like, as an adult, I was a whole lot smarter than them because I knew I was trying to protect them from running out in the street and getting run over by a car. That would be horrible. And I was trying to protect them from that, but I was also to provide a place of flourishing for them within the yard. This is the place to play. Man, you can play. We'll have a blast. We'll play football. We'll play basketball. We'll do all these things, but man, don't, do, don't go outside these boundaries. When we go outside his boundaries, we are trampling on God's love and wisdom. We're actually saying, I think you're holding out on me, number one, and I think I'm smarter than you. That's what we're actually saying. And uh, so what we got to do, we got to deal with a lie, because you've believed the lie. That's the reason why we do those things, is because we got the lie floating around inside of us. And here's the next thing. Sex is to mutually say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. It is a covenant renewal celebration. <clears throat> now, Tim Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this. In the Old Testament, there were covenant renewal celebrations or ceremonies. When God entered into a covenant relationship with his people, he told them to periodically take out time to remember the terms of the covenant and then recommit themselves to it to sustain life to sustain a life of faithfulness. So does that make sense? So, so God came into their lives, they established this covenant, and then he would tell them, from time to time, I want you to remember this, the covenant and recommit to that covenant. And, and so they would have these ceremonies. Uh, they were called uh, covenant renewal ceremonies or covenant renewal celebrations. So it is the same with the marriage covenant. On your wedding day, you consummated your covenant relationship. It was a day of celebration. But as time goes on, there is a need to remember that covenant and rekindle that, you know, your heart for one another. Therefore, sex between a husband and wife is a covenant renewal celebration or ceremony. So there you go, I, I just gave you a new language for the next time you want to make love to your, to your spouse. Hey, let's go have a covenant renewal ceremony. <laughs> and then praise God. In fact, in fact, it should be, this might sound crazy, but it should be a worship experience. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That would include your sexual relationship. So there, there you go. Honey, I think we need to do some more worshiping. Praise God. What do you mean? Go to church? No, no. In the bedroom. I mean, so, um, and so that's, that's really what it is. It's meant to uh, reinforce that commitment, that whole life commitment. And, um, and so number three, 
Now we get into some uh, deeper thought here to really understand what goes wrong with it. And so number three, unless you deliberately through practice numb the original impulse, sex makes you feel personally interwoven and deeply connected to another person as you are literally physically joined. So we go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 16 and 18. Remember what he says. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's why he says, flee from that. Don't you understand what's going on? So, so there's something happening here that's much deeper. So sexual passion is so powerful that you naturally feel a deep soul connection. The first time you had sex... There's this deep soul connection with the other person. You feel marriage-like ties and want to say marriage-like things such as, I'll, I'll love you forever. You're just so, woo! There's that excitement. But notice, unless you deliberately through practice numb the original impulse, sex makes you feel personally interwoven and deeply connected to another person as you are literally physically joined. Pretty heavy-duty thought. Now, let me read to you. should be up on the screen here. This is a quote from John White, his book, Eros Defiled. Really uh, an important book. Just I read it a number of years ago. It was a really powerful book. But listen to what he says. Immediate erotic thrill is the most superficial benefit of the sex act. The bodily exposure that arouses and accompanies it can be both profoundly symbolic and powerfully healing. It is the healing, concrete sign of what is happening in the whole relationship, the uncovering of our inner selves, our deepest fears and yearnings. As I look tenderly on the body of another and as I experience what it is to feel the tenderness of another's caress, then the one who accepts and touches my, my most intimate body and caresses it with tenderness caresses also my inmost being. Or so it seems when all is right. So it only makes sense that sexual relations be confined to marriage. For mutual disclosure and tender acceptance is not the activity of a moment, but the delicate fabric of a lifetime's weaving each time sex springs from casual encounter, notice that, casual encounter, just physical disclosure and touching, some of its life-giving and healing nature is destroyed. So I go back to the point, unless you deliberately through practice numb the original impulse, sex makes you feel personally interwoven and deeply connected to another person as you are literally physically joined Think about that. That's pretty deep, pretty important stuff. Number four, it makes breaking up harder to do and keeps people trapped in relationships that are not good because of a feeling of deep connection. So you start, you connect physically and, and those, those become relationships that are really, there's a, there's a bonding of the soul that takes place and it makes it hard to get out of those relationships Number five, you'll see why as we kind of walk through this. Number five, sex outside of marriage is harmful because eventually it will lose its covenant-making power. And it actually works backwards, making you less able to commit and trust another person. So it's, a, it's really a commitment apparatus is what it's, it could be called. 
It's to reinforce that, that commitment. That's why you don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way. So, okay, so everybody look up here just for a minute. So let me explain this just a, a, a bit. Um, so boy meets girl, uh, the way that they're supposed to initially connect is, is spiritually, and you're supposed to connect uh, spiritually through agape love. We're going to use the Greek words for love. There's three, there's actually four, but we'll use the three that make for this healthy marriage relationship. You're supposed to connect spiritually through agape love. In fact, you want to find someone who loves Jesus more than they love, love you because then they'll really love you a lot. They'll love you unbelievably. And so you're both actually helping each other love Jesus more than they love each other because then that's what makes for really a, a great relationship. You take it to the next level. So that's kind of the bottom level. The next level would be the soul connection, mind, will, emotion. That's more of the phileo. That's the friendship. So out of this spiritual connection, agape, you move it to more soul. It's more friendship relationship and you become best friends. And then you, you decide to get married, you set the date and you get married and then you consummate that on your wedding night through eros. And that's the celebration of what you've already done through your spirit soul. Now it's your body and that's the erotic. But if you reverse that, what it actually does is that when you do the, the eros before you do the spirit soul, it actually undermines spirit soul connection. It takes away from that. And uh, that's why that, that guy, God has that order like that. Because he loves us. He wants the very best for us. And so it's not, it's not eros that makes spirit soul more fabulous. It's spirit soul that makes eros pretty fabulous. Does that make sense? So when you connect some, with someone spiritually and then relationally in a friendship relationship, oh my goodness, the eros is, you know, the erotic, the physical is just through the roof. It's not good sex that makes for a great marriage. It's a great marriage. It's relationship that makes for great sex. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> that's, and so that's the, what, the, what the Bible teaches. Let me give you another quote from, uh, from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. And this is what he says. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual from all the other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure any more than about the pleasure of eating. It means you must not isolate the pleasure and try to get it by itself or more than you, uh, any more than you ought to try to get the pleasure of tasting without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and then spitting them out again. Really quite an interesting analogy there. And so uh, this is why uh, statistically, and I've studied this for years, statistically couples who move in together before marriage don't increase don't increase but decrease their chances of a successful marriage relationship. That's just, just what the stats show. Those are secular stats. Because it's going contrary to how God's created us. Now, now before we move on, let me give you another analogy here. If you owned an art gallery, you wouldn't put your million dollar Van Gogh uh, your Van Gogh paintings out on the sidewalk for everyone to fondle 
would you? You probably wouldn't do that. No, you would put them back in a back room somewhere and protect them. These, these paintings are worth millions of dollars. And you would do that not because you had a low view of those paintings, but because you had a high view of those paintings. The Bible doesn't counsel sexual abstinence before marriage because it has such a low view of sex, but because it has a very high view of sex. Now, I'm going to talk to singles here. So how do I practice God's purpose for sex? And then we're going to talk about couples. Now what's crazy about this, and I don't know if you guys realize this, but if you've been hanging out with us, we just went through, this is our third topic that is, will tend to bring a lot of shame into our lives. I mean, we talked about finances. Most people don't want to talk about finances. We talked about our bodies. Oh, I don't want to talk about my body. And now we're talking about our sex. I love Desert Breeze, okay? Because we, we deal with these topics head on because the Bible deals with it. I love the way that the Bible deals with these. Now listen to me. Everybody look up here. Jesus did not, did not come to this world, live, die, resurrect from the grave to pour a bunch of shame on us. He came to set us free. He came to set us free. He came to give to us fullness of life. John 3, 16 and 17. In 17 it says, he did not come into the world to condemn the world. So if you're getting condemnation, it ain't coming from him. He loves us. He's coming after us. He's pursuing us. He came to satisfy us. And yeah, he does it through, through truth and grace. So that's what I just, I want to keep that in mind. He came to satisfy us. He came to give to us his indispensable and costly love. And so it's in that context, of course, he's going to speak truth because he knows what's best for us. Now, how do I practice God's purpose for sex? As a single person, chastity is difficult but not impossible if you, number one, keep your heart filled with the spousal love of Jesus. This is not just for singles. This is for us uh, married folks. And so Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, when you understand the spousal love of Jesus, remember, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When you understand that, oh my goodness. I mean, you're going to want to love your wife because how much Jesus loves his church and loves you. It's overwhelming. And so you want to fill your heart up with his love regularly. If you don't develop a deeply satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. I mean, this is, this is a necessity. Lonely, insecure people become lonely, insecure, married people. I see it. I've seen it time and time again. Identity in anyone or anything other than Christ is essentially unstable. Number two, live in Christian community with other singles who are, are neither too hungry nor too fearful of marriage and don't use world standards for partner choices. World standards would be physical beauty and, and wealth. The standards that you're looking for, are they a Christian and do they have character? And then you're going to walk it out from there and begin to understand that more clearly. I mean, I could teach a whole sermon just on that one. And, and there's a lot of good insight here. Number three, I got to move on. Uh, live in Christian community with families where having a family isn't an idol 
or where singles aren't treated like they are useless or like they are second-class citizens. I've been in too many church settings where singles were, were looked at as like they're second-class citizens. And um, listen to me. Singleness is a gift from God. Being married is a gift from God. Do you guys agree with that? Okay. But let me say it again. Singleness is a gift from God. Being married is a gift from God. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's, it's all over the scripture. And I was thinking about this. When you ask a single person why they're not married yet, it's like asking a girl who's not pregnant how far along she is. Did, did you guys get that? You guys were a little bit slow on that one. When you ask someone, well, why aren't you married yet? You're kind of pushing them into that. It's almost like coming up to someone who's not pregnant and saying, how far along are you? Some gal, it's like, that's offensive. My wife said it uh, like this. She, she had a good insight in this. She goes, as a single person, the next time someone comes up to you at a wedding and says, you're next, the next time you're at a funeral, tell them, you're next. <laughs> It's offensive. Quit putting pressure on the singles to get married. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Realize you can't, this is an important one. Realize you can't stop sexual thoughts from occurring, but you can keep them from, in, uh, inter, you can keep from entertaining them. So here's where the battle is. This is also, this isn't just for singles, this is for us married folks too. We've got to understand that above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, <clears throat> he talks about here uh, the chase our thoughts down. I, I'm telling you, man, I have, to, I have to be aggressive with my thoughts. I've got to chase my thoughts down and bring them under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm a pastor. I teach this stuff and my thoughts still go crazy. And I still struggle with thoughts that will come into my, my head. Martin Luther put it this way. You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. It's easier for us bald dudes, huh? Mm, but those thoughts, the fight against sin is normal. Listen to me. The fight against sin is normal, whether it's same sex or opposite sex or extramarital sex. That's normal for all of us. And God's message to all of us is the same. Repent and believe. And it's the repentance, it's, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The reason why we want to get back on track is because he's got a better way for us. He loves us. That's where we're going to find satisfaction in our lives. And, um, and so, here's another thought that I want you to understand. Just because... Uh, well, let me say this first. Our sexual desires or any of our desires for that matter are not, are not our highest moral authority. You guys tracking with me? Your desires are not your highest moral authority. Yeah, but I was, I was made this way. I was created this way. Your desires are not your highest moral authority. We're fallen by nature. By nature, we're sinners. By choice, we're sinners. Listen to me. If I went by my desires, I wouldn't be married to this day. If my desires were my highest moral authority, I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't be pastoring this church. 
God's word is my highest moral authority. I go back to what his word says, regardless. And by the way, you're going to have a lot of crazy, crazy desires because we live in a fallen world. We have an adversary that's dogging us and we're sinners by nature and by choice. I have some crazy desires. And boy, am I glad I fought those back. And I've continued to deal with those desires. So you've got to work on that and you've got to deal with it. Our sexual desires or any of our desires are not our highest moral authority. Just because we are inclined to certain desires and behaviors doesn't make them right. Now, if you have kept yourself sexually pure in this sex-saturated world, that is pure awesomeness. And I applaud you in that. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Or maybe you've... uh, you became promiscuous and then now you've said, hey, I'm going to do it all over again and you become pure. There's been a time period in your life where you've become pure once again. I applaud you in this. I mean, that's, that's absolutely pretty incredible in our day and time. I think it's a- absolutely wonderful that you've been able to do that. But if you haven't, you can start over. Oh my goodness. He came to not bring shame upon us, but to bring satisfaction and to redeem us and to love us. Look at the next point. No sin is a match for God's redeeming, restoring grace. The gospel will keep you from taking sin lightly or whipping yourself and wallowing in guilt. Don't do that. Don't take your sin lightly, but don't wallow in guilt. You don't have to do that. See, it's... It is important to get the gospel's pardon and cleansing for wrongdoing. There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Quit beating yourself up. Allow Christ to bring the restoration and healing to your life. Often it is unresolved shame. Listen to me. Often it is unresolved shame for past offenses that stir up present obsessive sexual fantasies. And it's oftentimes, it's, it becomes, that's what it leads to addictions to porn. It's like, why are we going after the porn? Why do we do this? Why, are we, why do we have to watch certain movies or whatever it is? It's, it's we're true. We got shame deep inside of us. Come to Christ and allow him to take care of that shame. It's amazing. It's amazing what he, he can do, what he will do in our lives. Number six. This has been a big one for me. It's helped me out tremendously. The power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's, especially when our feelings rise in mutiny against the facts of God's word. There are times my feelings have raged against God's word. Titus 2, 11 through 14 talk about this grace. So here, would you guys agree? I mean, do you guys agree with me on this? When, when people fall in love, when people fall in love, they, they lose half of their brains. Would you guys have you, How many have seen that before? People fall in love, they lose half of their brains. Now listen to me. So if falling in love also includes falling into bed, they lose the other half also. I've seen it. All objectivity goes right out the window. Let me tell you something. Those passions, those hormones are raging. And you can tell the person, this guy's a jerk. Why are you still with him? I oh, know he isn't. Oh. It's like, you're not thinking clearly. Come over here. Let me help you. I love you. Let me help you. You're not thinking clearly. It's because that's what's happened. It's, it's taken control So when our feelings rise in mutiny against the facts of God's word, it's the power of sin's promise breaks the power 
is broken by the power of God's promise. So ultimately, it's not techniques. It's not techniques that will enable a single person to practice the Christian sex ethic. It's conviction. Here's the conviction. That you believe that sin is the suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water for a broken well. That's Jeremiah 2.13. But you've got to be convinced of that. You've got to really believe, wait, 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 wait. God has my best interest at heart. He sent his son to, to die for me. Of course I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk with him. He's going to empower me, and I'm going to conform my life to his will. See, that's, that's what the gospel teaches. And uh, one of the reasons we can seem to burn with uncontrollable sexual passion is because our hearts believe, we believe the lie that if we have a great romantic sexual experience, we will, we will finally be deeply fulfilled. It's in, in our movies, it's in our music. Sex cannot satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. Sex will never satisfy the deepest longing of our soul. Only Jesus can do that. But we have this romantic weird idea that we just, we keep chasing after this. We think it's through some kind of romance. You know, sweep me off of my feet and we'll live happily ever after. Listen to what John Piper says. This will shock you. Knowing God is better than sex. Basically just saying knowing God is better than sex. Jesus never had sexual relations and he was the most full and complete human that ever will exist. Sex is a shadow, an image of a greater reality, of a relationship and pleasure that will make sex seem like a yawn. Now listen to me. My wife and I, I know you don't want to hear this, especially if my kids are in the audience, they'll go, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear this. My wife and I have a great relationship. We have a great sexual relationship, but both of us would say it is a dim glimpse compared to the relationship we have with God. It's a gift from God and a pointer to that ultimate satisfaction that both of us have found in Jesus. Therefore, I think that's what helps our marriage relationship to be so fulfilling. Now, as a married couple, oh, we're out of time. No, we're not out of time. We're never out of time here. Have you noticed that? It doesn't matter. We're not out of time until we finish up the notes. Okay, so here we go. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body. That's my favorite verse. (laughs) Nancy, your body is all mine. But notice this. This is my wife's favorite verse. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. That's my wife's favorite verse. She says, your body is mine. Now get your body in there and do those dishes. (laughs) That's not right. That hurt my feelings. It says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Number one, you should enjoy sex frequently, being more concerned about giving pleasure rather than getting pleasure. So this is the standard that God has set. Based on this scripture, by the way, I just read it. 
The greatest sexual pleasure should be the pleasure of seeing your spouse getting pleasure. When you get to the place where giving arousal is the most arousing thing, you're practicing this principle. If the main purpose in sex is giving pleasure, then number two on your notes, a person who doesn't have as much of a sex drive physically can give to the other person as a gift, a legitimate act of love. After you fill in the blank here, you've got to look up here because I want to talk to you just a tad about love. You don't have to feel love to give love. You guys know that, don't you? You don't have to, you don't have to feel love to give love. If you're just basing it on your feelings, you're going to live a roller coaster kind of a life. You don't have to feel love to give love. To give love when you don't feel love is what true committed love is all about. That's true covenant love. If you stress affectionate feelings over unselfish actions, your love is going to be crippled. So if you stress feelings over actions, you're going to cripple your love. But if you stress actions of love over feelings of love, you will enhance and establish those feelings. So even when you don't feel like it, if you begin to act that out and, and, and begin to respond in loving fashion, you actually reinforce those feelings and establish good, solid feelings. And... Um, and in fact, let me just, another quick quote here. University of Chicago, after a landmark study, Sex in America, a, de a definitive survey they did a number of years ago. Listen to what they said. Perhaps the most remarkable statement of the study linked traditional sexual ethics and sexual fulfillment. This is secular, by the way. This is non-Christian. I quote, this is what they said, our results could be read to mean that an orthodox view of romance, courtship, and sexuality, your mom's view perhaps, is the only route to happiness and sexual satisfaction. Isn't that interesting? End of quote. So while the researchers stopped short of endorsing traditional Judeo-Christian morality as the best approach to finding sexual happiness, their, their data lend credence to the idea. Pretty interesting. Interesting stuff. Next one. When it comes to context, to be blunt, for men it is anytime, anywhere. You guys are supposed to laugh there. I'd give you permission, but it's almost kind of like, Ooh, what did he just say? Guys, you know that's true. Anytime, anywhere, honey. For women, context doesn't mean candles or something as much as it means candles or something as much as it means emotional tenderness and conversation. I had someone give me this just before this service, and it was from Facebook. It's sex after surgery. A recent article in the Daily Post reported that a man, Dave Harper, has sued St. Paul's Hospital saying that after his wife had surgery there at the hospital, she lost all interest in sex. A hospital spokesman replied, Mrs. Harper was admitted for cataract surgery. All we did was correct her eyesight. Okay. My wife's eyesight is getting worse and she thinks that I'm the hottest dude on this planet. Because sex is meant to celebrate whole life, self-giving love, lack of sexual intimacy may be a sign of deeper problems in the relationship. 
So here's what you need to look at if you're in a married relationship. Uh, the deeper problems could be past, it could be baggage that you haven't dealt with, it could be guilt, fear, and anger over past relationships, or a growing mistrust or disrespect or unresolved differences in your present relationship. Now listen to me, if, if that's the case, your marriage relationship is a ticking time bomb, and I would encourage you to get help. You need to get help because you're on a destructive path and you need to look at that. Now notice what it does say. It says uh, it's, meant to, and it's meant to do that, and I understand there's a lot of different reasons why you, you wouldn't have sex that are, that are okay reasons, but I'm talking, but we're talking healthy marriage relationship in that. Notice this last point here. Human romance is a glorious experience, but even the best is a, is a gift from God and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing God's love. Remember the woman at the well? John 4, she'd had five husbands. And she said, forget the marriage thing. I'm just going to shack up with this dude. I'm going to just, and so she was living with a guy. And Jesus came to her and he said some very tender words to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And he was actually referring to the fact, you're not going to find deep soul satisfaction in a marriage relationship. You're only going to find it in me. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love it. So uh, next week we finish this teaching series. It, it, it eases a bit. It couldn't be as tough as it's been in the last three weeks. But we are going to talk about relationships. We're going to look at what healthy relationships are. And then that's going to launch us into a brand new teaching series. And we're calling it Relationships. And a mess worth making. We're going to talk about conflict, conflict resolution, boundaries, and the like. That's where we're headed. And that'll take us all the way to Easter. And then Easter, guess what we're going to do? We're going to study through the book of Ecclesiastes. So it'll be good. Let's pray. Father God, you are not a restrictor. You are a liberator. And therefore, your standards for us flow out of your perfect love, infinite wisdom to protect us from the very worst and provide the very best for us. Keep us from believing the lie that we will be more satisfied if we are free to choose how our lives should be lived rather than you. Forgive us. Forgive us for our sexual sins. Heal us from our sexual brokenness. Break any sexual addiction that any, anyone here might have by your amazing grace. Purify our thoughts, words, and actions as it relates to our sexuality. May the promise and allure of gratification in sexual sin be countered and overcome by the promise and allure of a gratification in your son, Jesus, that is sweeter and more beautiful and more satisfying than anything we have ever experienced. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.